All right. Good evening. Although I should just say good night and pray and we leave after that. I mean, wow. I'm only going to bring it down. I mean, I, you can't get it much higher than that. So, But God bless you guys. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation? Chapter 20. Last week we... Uh, got into this section but we had to stop before we really finished uh, looking at something I want to kind of pick it up but let's start with verse 1 Revelation 20 verse 1 John said then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he, and he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who was the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Last week we saw... Two groups were in view, the Old Testament saints and the church saints. John says, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, a reference to tribulation saints, and they, all three groups, Old Testament saints, church saints, tribulation saints, lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, last time when we read that, we said the order of this statement has confused a lot of people over the years as to what John is really saying. Because it sounds like John is saying that the dead who did not live again until the thousand years were finished are those belonging to the first resurrection. That is not correct. Let me rearrange John's statement one more time so that what he is actually saying becomes clear. So verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, as we talked about last time, and we're just reviewing quickly, the Jews believed in one great resurrection of the dead, as do many Christians. But if there is a first resurrection, there has to be at least one more. Jesus taught us in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 28 and 9, that there would be two great resurrections, one for believers and one for unbelievers. And then in Revelation 20, verse 5, we learn that they are separated, these two resurrections, by at least a thousand years. Now, with regard to the physical body, bodily resurrection of believers, which Jesus called the resurrection of life in John 5, verse 29, and John calls right here in Revelation 20, verse 5, the first resurrection, Paul tells us 
And this is where we went last time. We had to stop because we didn't we run out of time. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that this resurrection is not a single event, but a category that contains multiple resurrections of believers. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks to us about the resurrection of the just, or the resurrections of the just, actually. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, Adam, by man, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. As we said last time, and you know I've taught this before, so if you've heard it, please just be patient. We have people watching online, maybe never heard this before. So just we'll just kind of, uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but I want to uh, bring this up because this is important that we understand this. The word for order that Paul uses in verse 23, but each one or uh, each group will be resurrected in his own order, the word order is the Greek word tagma, and it means an order of succession. An order of succession. The word originally referred to military rank, you know, the order of command, or in other words, the order of importance. Paul is telling us that the physical bodily resurrection of believers doesn't happen all at once, but consists of a series of successive resurrections starting with Jesus Christ, the first fruits. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now we covered this last time, but referring to Jesus as the first fruits, and by the way, Jesus Christ arose on the Sunday after Passover. That was literally the feast of first fruits. And as Jesus was raised first, never to die again, he was the first fruits of those that were going to be raised never to die again it guaranteed that a great harvest of souls would someday be resurrected never to die as again as well now certainly there were people who were resurrected in the old testament but they died again they were resurrected physically and eventually died again in the new testament three people are mentioned that were raised from the dead besides jesus but they all died again jesus christ was the first one to rise from the dead never to die again and as his followers, because he was the first fruits, the first one offered to the Father. When the, Jesus ascended to his Father, and he was received into the Father's uh, kingdom, into the Father's sitting next to the Father on his right hand, it guaranteed that because Jesus as the first fruits was accepted by the Father, a great harvest of souls would someday be resurrected, never to die again, and would be received up into heaven as well. So once again, this resurrection would take place, this resurrection of believers uh, would take place uh, as a series of successive resurrections, starting with Jesus, and then after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is in the order of importance, and I can make a case from right here in 1 Corinthians 15 that when you talk about all the believers that have ever lived, um, Jesus Christ, of course, he's God Almighty, the one we put our faith in, 
But the next group in the order of importance that is raised in succession is the church, is church saints. Resurrection of church of the church saints. After Jesus' resurrection, next comes the physical resurrection of the church or the body of Christ. Uh, in other words, all those people who, who came to saving faith in Christ, listen, from Pentecost, Acts 2, when the Spirit was poured out and the church was born, up until the rapture or what is commonly referred to as the church age. So church saints are those that have gotten saved from Pentecost to the rapture. The resurrection of the church saints, again, known as the rapture, I believe the scriptures teach, will happen sometime before the Antichrist is revealed and rises the power and the tribulation period officially begins. We've talked about this, so I'm not going to get into it again. But uh, I believe in a pre-trib rapture of the church saints. And you can look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Compare it to Revelation 6, verse 1. The rapture happens, chapter 4, verse 1. And then chapter 6, verse 1, the tribulation officially begins with the coming of the Antichrist, the rider riding the white horse, carrying a bow. Not Jesus Christ an imposter known as the Antichrist, okay? But one of the classic passages dealing with the rapture, not, not its timing, uh, but its reality, is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, if you turn there. And again, this is very familiar territory to most of you here. So in a way, this is just review a little bit, but we have folks tuning in that may never have really been taught this, so we want to make sure we don't assume anything. But one of the classic passages dealing with the rapture of the church is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's first of all read verse 13. Where Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Uh, guys, to believers, Christians, death is only sleep, but not soul sleep. There is a doctrine called soul sleep, whereas when a, a, a Christian dies, um, their soul sleeps, their consciousness sleeps, and the next thing they know, um, you know, Jesus is standing there as they're resurrected. Uh, that is not true. Uh, death for the believer in Christ is where the body sleeps. The, the scriptures, the New Testament never talks about the soul sleeping. It talks about the physical body sleeping. Why? Because physical death for a Christian is different from death for a, an unbeliever. When we sleep, literally sleep, you're, you lie down, your body goes to sleep, and it awakens, right? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen for those who sleep in death as Christians. Their body sleeps by being buried in the grave, but it's only temporary. It's only temporary until the rapture, at which time their body, physical body, will be awakened, resurrected, glorified, and then they will be, the body will be rejoined, listen, with their soul and their spirit. Look, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As a believer in Christ, we had a consciousness, that's what we were alive. Unbelievers have a body and a consciousness or a soul, but they have no spirit because their spirit is dead. When you receive Jesus Christ, you were born again. What was born again? 
your spirit, which had died uh, at the fall. Adam and Eve killed it, okay, our spirits, for all their descendants. But when you accept Christ, you become a, a triune being, the very way God in, in, uh, created us in the first place. Adam and Eve were triune beings uh, in the beginning. Like God is a triune being, but they had a body, they had a soul, and they had a spirit. The spirit was what uh, communed with God. When Adam sinned, the spirit was killed, was died, and our fellowship with God was severed. And we became two-dimensional creatures, as Peter said, often like brute beasts. Animals are two-dimensional creatures. They have a body, they have a, a soul or a consciousness. They're alive, but they have no spirit. They can't commune with God. An animal can't worship God. An animal won't live forever because they're not an eternal creature. But we are. And... Uh, Unbelievers, two-dimensional. They, they, they like the animal kingdom, and they often live like the animal kingdom, uh, just obsessed with body appetites, um, things like that, you know, food and, uh, and uh, water and uh, sex and things like that. But for a Christian, once we, get, uh, once we get saved and became a Christian, our spirit was resurrected, and uh, now we are a triune being. Now, in death... A Christian's body dies and is buried, but their soul and their spirit go up to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. But God made us a triune being, and he wants to keep us that way. And so at the rapture, our physical body is awakened. It's, it's resurrected, and it's glorified and reunited instantaneously with our soul and our spirit. And once again, now we are a triune being, Pastor, what does that really mean? All I can say is we'll have to experience that when Jesus returns and we understand fully what is involved there. But um, in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When Jesus comes at the rapture, he's going to bring with him the soul and the spirits of those in heaven, who are conscious, uh, fully conscious, um, but he will bring with him those those uh, church saints. Um, and, it's, and he goes on to say in verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord at the rapture is the ideal, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. These would be, of course, those that have died in Christ, church saints. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and then these will be joined by believers who are still alive on the earth at that time. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be, listen, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. From that moment on, we will never be separated from Jesus ever again. Caught up there, verse 17, is the Greek word harpazo, and it, it um, uh, means to be snatched away suddenly. In the Latin Vulgate, that word is translated with the word rapio in the Latin, from which we get our word rapture. So when somebody tells you the word rapture is not in the Bible, you have to just know which Bible to look for it. it the, but the concept is the same. 
Rapio in the Latin Vulgate means to be snatched away, just like harpazo in the Greek, uh, which is really an evacuation. Yes, we're going to be taken off the earth to meet the Lord in the air and go back into heaven with him or go to heaven with him where we're going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. But on the earth, there's going to be great tribulation then while we're in heaven rejoicing with him. But um, it's an evacuation in part because the Lord's going to evacuate us off the earth before his judgment is poured out. Peter says that God will not punish the righteous with the wicked. Uh, the, the tribulation period is to punish the wicked upon the earth. Yes, many do get saved, praise God. But a lot of people are so hard-hearted that they will never get saved. And so God is going to unleash one cataclysmic judgment after another. We've talked about this. Uh, we've studied it. Um, but we will be evacuated. We won't have to be punished with the wicked. So, and, and understand one more time, I just want to say one more time, as we've already admonished, don't confuse this coming of Jesus, the rapture, where he comes for his church. Don't confuse that with the second coming of Christ. Here, Jesus comes for his church, the rapture, where we meet him in the clouds, in the air. He doesn't come down to the earth to get us, and we kind of meet him halfway and are taken uh, by him to heaven, whereas the second coming, of course, is Jesus coming with his church to the earth to establish his kingdom. We've talked about that. All right, so Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He is the first one to, to rise from the dead of this first uh, resurrection category. The second group will be the church. The third group that will be resurrected will be the tribulation saints. Next to the resurrection of the tribulation saints, we, this is the next group. And guys, many will trust in Jesus Christ during the millennium, excuse me, during the tribulation period, seven years total. Okay, we've talked about that a lot too. Uh, especially many will get saved as we move from the first half into the second half. Um, God is really going to be pouring out his judgments. A lot of folks are going to start really getting saved that might have been on the fence. Now it becomes clear that they have a choice. Either, you know, worship the dragon, Satan, and his, you know, his two guys, the Antichrist and the false prophet, or give their hearts to Jesus Christ and so on. Um, but many will come to Christ during the tribulation period. During this horrific period of time, many godly people will be put to death by the Antichrist and his followers for their faith. But at the end of that period of time, Jesus is going to return to the earth at his second coming. End the Antichrist's persecution of God's people, destroy his armies, and cast him and the false prophet into the lake of fire. We looked at that, Revelation 19, verse 20. Then Jesus will resurrect all those believers in him that the Antichrist martyred, and they will become a part of his kingdom upon the earth and reign with him for a thousand years, even as verse 4, Revelation 20, makes abundantly clear. John said, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, tribulation saints, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Well, what about the Old Testament saints? You've got Jesus rising from the dead. You've got the church. 
Then at the end of the tribulation period, we see tribulation saints resurrected. What about the old? What about Moses? Elijah, Jeremiah, David? What about these guys? Well, that's the next group, the Old Testament saints. And uh, I believe that the Old Testament saints will be resurrected simultaneously with the tribulation saints. So both groups will be resurrected pretty much at the same time. Uh, the resurrection of Old Testament saints was promised by God through the Old Testament prophets like Daniel. Turn to chapter 12, Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'll read it to you out of the NLT 2nd edition. It says, At that time Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Compare that with Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, where Jesus said, At that time there will be great tribulation, such as the world has never seen up until that time, nor will ever see again. I believe that's what uh, Daniel is talking about in Daniel 12. But then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book, the book of life, will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Now that parallels what Jesus said in John 5, that there's going to be two Great resurrections, one for believers and one for unbelievers. Now, guys, if we only had the Old Testament passages on the resurrection of the just and the unjust, listen, we would be left to conclude, like the Jewish people, that there was one giant, all-encompassing resurrection of believers and unbelievers together. Except Jesus told us in John 5 there would be two resurrections, and John tells us in Revelation 20, verse 5, they would be separated by at least a thousand years. So we have to piece everything together, right? Uh, we have to look at a subject uh, in both uh, Old and New Testaments, piece these things together to get a clear picture of what really is being taught about any doctrine in the Bible. A lot of people and groups get into trouble because they take one passage and make it a, a big doctrine, like we see the um, um, Mormons in John 10. Uh, does it not say in your word that you are gods? And they ran with that, and they believed that they can ascend to godhood. Actually, Mormonism is a combination of Christianity and Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism teaches that um, through the process of reincarnation, uh, mankind can eventually evolve into godhood. You just have to keep, you know, keep living a exemplary life, and as time goes on, you'll just keep coming back. That's what um, uh, the the doctrine of um, reincarnation. Sorry, my mind went blank there. Is all about. You keep getting recycled, and each time, the idea is you get better and better until you finally evolve into godhood. Uh, well, they ran with that in John 10. The Bible never teaches anything about reincarnation. It talks about resurrection. It's appointed to a man, to a woman, to die what? Once. And then comes the judgment, right? Um, so you have to be very careful 
And I know you know that, but there's a lot of groups out there, a lot of people that um, will pounce on one verse or a passage and come away with a unbiblical doctrine that seems to be taught, but obviously, you know, is not. So you have to look at the whole scripture, right? Um, so you have then, of course, then the resurrection of the Old Testament saints along with the um, tribulation saints. Here's a group maybe you hadn't thought about. The next and final resurrection of believers is going to be the tribulation saints. Tribulation, I'm sorry, the millennial kingdom saints. Sorry, messed up. The, the final resurrection of the just is going to be the millennial kingdom believers. Now, during the millennial kingdom, there will be of necessity uh, the resurrection of those who died during that time. Remember, death won't be done away with once and for all until after the millennial kingdom when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, you're in the neighborhood, just turn over to it. Uh, verse 1, Revelation 21, verse 1. John said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Guys, during the millennial kingdom, death will be rare, but not totally gone. One pastor commented, he said something I thought was interesting, and he could be right. He said, it is interesting to think that they, people that died during the millennial kingdom, now we won't, we'll have our glorified bodies, but there are going to be people that were born physically during this thousand-year reign of Christ. They're going to grow up. Uh, some of them will die before the thousand years is completed. And when they do this, pastor said, you know, uh, it's interesting to think that they may well be raised as soon as they die. No burial being necessary. It would make death for a believer during the kingdom nothing more than an instant transformation into his eternal glorified body, end quote. I don't see any other explanation better than that. Sounds pretty plausible. Although, guys, listen, because the conditions upon the earth during the millennial kingdom, I believe, now this is me, I believe that the earth will be returned to a tropical slash paradise state as it was before the flood. Theologians talk about the antediluvian world. What is that? The world on earth before the flood. And the world uh, was quite different before the flood. We've talked about this. Tropical throughout the entire planet because of the way the earth was, you know, wasn't tilted before the flood and so on. Would you want to get into that, get into our Genesis study? Because we really went into that in detail. But uh, I believe that during the millennial kingdom, the Lord is going to return the earth maybe to the way it was before the fall, although that might be stretching it. At very least, he'll return to the earth uh, the way it was, turned the earth the way it was before the flood. And it was quite a bit different uh, than it is today. All right? And uh, because you're going to have tropical conditions throughout the entire planet, most people, are, I believe, are going to live for the, uh, the entire thousand years. And there's going to be an incredible population explosion every year. Uh, we'll talk about this more as we end the book. But uh, there could be, by the time 
the millennial kingdom is over. People can live anywhere. There's no, not going to be any harsh uh, climates. Uh, you'll have people living North Pole, South Pole, Siberia. They have found, as I said, woolly mammoths. Archaeologists have dozens of feet, hundreds of feet below the surface uh, in the ice in Siberia with tropical vegetation still in their digestive tracts. They were flash frozen so quickly they didn't have time to digest uh, what they were eating. But scientists that they studied said, these are tropical plants. How could tropical plants be in Siberia? Well, because Siberia wasn't climatically how it is today. The earth was different, very different. And you're going to have a, a tremendous population explosion over those thousand years. It could, could be maybe 100 billion or more people by the time it's all over with. But my point is most of those people, I believe, are going to live for the entire thousand years. Listen to what you have to turn to. I'm going to read to you the NLT second edition anyways. Isaiah 65, verse 20 says, No longer during this millennial kingdom, no longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at a hundred. Only the cursed will die that young. And there will be cursed people who refuse to ex obey Christ, kneel to his authority, and he's going to pop a bunch of them with the rod, you know, the scepter in his hand, uh, like a potter breaks uh, the broken pots, uh, just pops them and they... They're gone. And uh, so there will be sin during the millennial kingdom. There will still be the curse. The curse is, of course, physical death. Uh, right? Genesis 3. But um, that will be, but a lot of folks will live the entire thousand years. Now, the only resurrection remaining, we have dealt with the resurrection of the righteous. Again, called the first resurrection, but not a single event but a category containing numerous resurrections of different righteous believers starting with Jesus the church Old Testament saints tribulation saints and then finally the millennial kingdom believers the only resurrection remaining guys will be that of the unrighteous who will be raised to condemnation or eternal punishment in hell at the end of Christ's thousand-year reign. Revelation 20, verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was were finished. This is the first resurrection. Or once again, the NLT, second edition, translates this. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. God has promised us, guys, and this is something that we should rejoice in every day although I doubt we do. God has promised us that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a true believer in Jesus Christ, a lot of people believe in him with their heads, have never given them their hearts. A lot of churchgoers who believe, I believed everything I believe about Jesus right now when I was a Roman Catholic, uh, but I wasn't saved because I had not received him into my heart as my savior, my king, and so on, right? But God has promised us that if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to the first resurrection group. And on you, or with regard to you, the second death will have no power. When John the Apostle says in verse 5, the rest of the dead 
did not live again until the thousand years were finished, he is referring to the bodily resurrection of all unbelievers that have ever lived upon the earth. These resurrected unbelievers will stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, which will take place, guys, directly after the millennial kingdom. This final resurrection deals with all unbelievers and will take place at the very end of the, of the millennial kingdom, right? And again, it only deals with unbelievers. And it's interesting what this judgment really is. And we'll look at that maybe next time in our study because uh, I don't want to get into it right now. We're going to have a whole study about uh, verses 11 to 15. But um, these people who have died as unbelievers, um, you know, all the way back to Cain, um, you know, in the book of Genesis, who murdered his brother Abel, uh, to, you know, the last person who dies um, as an unbeliever uh, in the millennial kingdom. Uh, these people uh, will have been living in Hades, I mean, especially as you go back a little bit, but um, just for the sake of argument, we're talking about people that die today as unbelievers. They're going to be in Hades until the great white throne judgment. And all the unbelievers that have ever lived uh, right now are living in Hades. They're conscious. They're in torment. Uh, have been there ever since their physical bodies died and they were buried. But again, their soul and their consciousness went into Hades. We talked about the Bible not teaching soul sleep. The Bible teaches that people that are dead, believers and unbelievers, they are conscious. Believers are with the Lord in heaven. They're conscious. Uh, unbelievers are in Hades, and they're conscious. And any doubts of that, you can read Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. The rich man and Lazarus, right? They both went to Hades, although uh, in those days, as it is still today, Hades, in the center of the earth, was divided or is divided into two compartments. There is a torment side, then there is a paradise side. And these two sides are divided by a great gulf. I always think of the Grand Canyon, all right? So that one group can't get over to the other side and vice versa. Well, the righteous would never want to get to the other side, the place of torment. But, you know, uh, the, the story that Jesus told, and it wasn't a parable. It was an actual story of two literal men. In a parable, Jesus never names anybody. A certain king or a certain rich man. He never says Charlie or Shlomo. Never says that. When Jesus said the rich man's, uh, the, um, the, the, the good man, Lazarus, died, and the rich man, this was a true story. And um, Lazarus lifted up his eyes in Hades, but in paradise, being comforted in a place called Abraham's bosom. That's where the righteous went before Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. They couldn't go to heaven. Their sins had not been paid for. But they were believers, and so they were saved. Yet, paradise was a prison. It was beautiful. It was comforting. But they couldn't leave. Now, the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment and looked across the gulf and said, Father Abraham, could you please send Lazarus over to me that he might dip his finger in some cool water and touch it to my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. 
And you remember the story. Abraham said, well, son, um, during your lifetime, you had the good things, and Lazarus had the evil. Now, he's being comforted, and you're being tormented. Besides, there's a great gulf between us so that you can't come over here, and we can't go over there, and that's just the way it is. Well, then, will you please send Lazarus to, you know, back to the living I have five brothers, and I don't want them to come to this terrible place. And Abraham said, well, they have the law. They have the prophets. Uh, let them read the word of God. Well, they won't. Well, but, but they'll listen if a man came back from the dead. And Abraham said, well, if they won't listen to the prophets, if they won't take to heart the word of God, neither will they believe if someone comes back from the dead. Isn't that interesting? that in John 11, a guy did come back from the dead, whose name was Lazarus. Not the same guy. And what did they do to him, these unbelievers, Jewish leaders? Did they believe what he had to say? What did they do to Lazarus? They killed him. You know, that, that's tough. You die twice, right? But it's interesting how that, and, and here's something, I'm getting off the subject, I'm sorry. There was something years ago called power evangelism. What was that? That was the belief in the church that was being taught at that time that we really can't evangelize the lost unless we would do miracles. Because miracles, that's what's going to get people's attention. That's what will save people. Well, the greatest miracle is seeing someone brought back from the dead. And... That didn't convert anybody. Does the Bible say we are, uh, we are saved by miracles? We are saved by the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um, it says of John the Baptist, he did no miracles, but everything he said about Jesus was true. Look at the ministry he had. It's truth. God's word that the Holy Spirit uses to energize and quicken and pierce somebody's heart with. Miracles, they're spectacular. I wouldn't mind seeing a miracle or two. But you can't build your faith in miracles. People never have. It's like trying to live off of cotton candy. It's sweet to the taste. There's nothing there to live on. The word of God is meat. It's milk. It's sustenance. If you feed on the word of God, you will be strengthened. Your faith will grow. But if you're just looking for the spectacular, the emotional, um, you're going to be a very weak uh, believer. But let me just say this. Hades, which is called Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Greek, the word, words Hades and Sheol literally mean the grave the grave and Hades is not the same as hell although the King James version which I love I, I love the King James version but there are some problems in it in that one of the things is they take the two words one for Hades and the other for hell in the New Testament and just combine them and say hell and because of it, a lot of people have gotten a, a, a wrong doctrinal view of of the end times with regard to hell because they're calling Hades 
hell. Hades is not hell. Uh, Hades is in the center of the earth. Hell is in the outer darkness. The lake of fire, which I believe is a star so far out in the remote regions of the universe that no light gets out there. And it's a star that doesn't burn in such a way that it gives off light. You say, well, how could that be? There are, and I was reading a great man of God, uh, Henry Morris, a scientist, literally a scientist. He's with the Lord now. He spoke at one of our pastor's conferences, and I'll tell you, this guy, he just rattled Scripture off. I mean, the guy just quoted Scripture profusely. We were just pastors. We're standing there, sitting there spellbound. I mean, this guy just, as he taught, he just was throwing one Scripture... This is a man who knew the word. But in his commentary on Revelation, he said, there are some flames that, uh, that are, uh, come from certain chemical compositions that burn without giving off any light. Have you ever been to a restaurant and somebody orders Cherry's Jubilee and they use alcohol, right, and they flame it? And there was a table next to us. We were uh, at an anniversary. We were having an anniversary dinner one year and a couple next was ordered this cherry's jubilee and i saw the guy pour whatever some kind of alcohol on it he lights it i knew it was on fire because you could see the the waves you know it's hot you see the the waves you know but i'm I'm seeing no flame at all and mora said you can have fire without light and i believe that hell the lake of fire is going to be a star so far out in the outer regions of the universe that no light gets out there and this star will burn without giving off light now that's different from hades at one point death and hades are cast into well here it is revelation 20 verse 4 then 14 uh, then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death they're two separate places is my point okay um Look at verse 20, Revelation 20, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who takes part in the first resurrection, once again, not a single event, but a category for all true believers who have ever lived upon the earth. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And of course, once again, the second death is referring to the final judgment of all unbelievers in the lake of fire. We just read Revelation 20, verse 14. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is exactly what Jesus promised us who are believers. For uh, John 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So if you are a, uh, a member of the first resurrection, you're a true believer, on you the second death has no power. You will never be cast into hell. Right? Paul said that, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? No eternal punishment in hell to those or for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's God's promise to us. There are groups out there that believe that, I don't know, I think one or two in an extreme way believe that even in heaven you've got to keep your nose clean. 
you, you might be thrown out. Good Lord. Read the Bible a little bit. Stop coming up with all this weird doctrine. What does the Bible say? It's very clear. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to the first resurrection category, and on you, the second death will have no power. The second death comes at the end of the millennial kingdom when all the unrighteous, all unbelievers are resurrected, stand before Jesus, and are eventually cast into the lake of fire. It will never affect us. We're believers in Christ, right? And the resurrection, this um, resurrection of all unbelievers, will be the, uh, the second of these two great resurrections, as we have talked about. Um, the second one, the resurrection of condemnation, Jesus spoke of in, again, John 5, verse 29. Um, I don't want to repeat myself because I get going, then I start talking about stuff I was going to wait. Uh, but in my notes, again, those who take, take part in the first resurrection, I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do that. I've even marked it, so I didn't, wouldn't do it, and I did it. Those who take part in this, not first resurrection, no, no, in this final resurrection at the end of the millennial kingdom will be cast into the lake of fire otherwise known again as the second death or hell we'll get revelation 21 verse 8 forgive me for beating a dead camel here um, repetition is the best way to learn and remember but even i can overdo it uh, at times revelation 21 verse 8 but cowards unbelievers the corrupt murderers the immoral those who practice witchcraft idol worshipers and all liars have uh, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So, obviously, this is the final judgment of all unbelievers. All unbelievers. We, part of the first resurrection, all true believers. We will never be cast into hell. That's a promise of God. All unbelievers will be a part of this final resurrection this second death resurrection right um I, I read an article some time ago written by a wall street journal columnist who claimed that the idea of a place called hell listen has outlived its usefulness in that article the writer contended that hell was an invention of man and adopted by the christian church to scare people into heaven <laughs> while further using it to control their lives here on earth through fear. This, he said, was popular and effective in medieval Christianity when people were unenlightened simpletons and superstitious fools. His words. However, he went on to say, modern society is enlightened. Isn't it? Wow. Modern society is enlightened and has outgrown the notion of scaring people with the threat of future damnation in hell. Now, this journalist, and we all know how infallible journalists are, so I just, you know, this journalist claimed that we need to, listen, jettison the idea of a place called hell in favor of a kinder, gentler version of Christianity that chooses to focus on God's love and mercy rather than on scaring folks with an eternal place of torment. And yet, in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we read how that hell is real, and it is an eternal place of torment for all those who are cast into it. Revelation 14, 
verse 11, tells us that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who are cast into the lake of fire or hell. Guys, the idea of a literal place called hell, a lot of churches first don't even believe in hell, a literal place called hell anymore. Uh, these would be more the mainline denominations. But even a lot of evangelical churches don't believe that hell is eternal or even that it's real. Here is hell, right here. You, you hear people say, there's no place called hell. This is hell right here in this life. Well, this may seem like hell at times for you. It is not hell. People get very upset today when you talk to them about a literal place of eternal torment called hell. They, <laughs> it's a very unpopular idea with most people in our society today. And here's the reasoning. They, they ask, how can a God of love allow people that he created in his image, how can he cast them into an eternal place of torment called hell? And so because people can't reconcile the concept of a loving God sending people to hell, listen, they tend to fall into one of three categories regarding hell. First category, they ignore it by living in denial of the reality of hell. I saw a survey some time ago that showed that 76% of the American population believes in heaven. 6% believe in hell. Most people are living in denial because they don't want to come to terms with a place called hell. Number two, they try to get around it through doctrines like annihilationism, universalism. Most of those are two doctrines, by the way. Annihilationism, where somebody gets thrown into the lake of fire, their body hits the lake of fire, and they just, poof, they're incinerated, go out of existence. They don't suffer forever. Universalism is the idea that in the end, we all make it into heaven. Because God, you know, he talks tough, but he's a softy. He's a real softy, and even Satan gets into heaven because God just can't, he's a God of love. He can't send anyone to hell, not really. Now, that, those two doctrines are wishful thinking, not biblical truth, okay? Not biblical truth. Or number three, the third way they kind of deal with the reality of hell is they joke about it. Maybe you've heard somebody say to you, I'd rather be partying in hell with all my friends than bored in heaven with all those hypocrites. Something to those li uh, effect, right? I'll end with this. Several years ago, Cindy and I, yeah, you probably heard me tell this story. You've heard all my stories. Several years ago, Cindy and I spent some time in the Cayman Islands for our anniversary. And we actually stayed on Grand Cayman Island, where there is a town called Hell. Grand Cayman Island, there is a town called Hell. It's a kind of a novelty thing. The people of the town get a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, it's good for tourism. Anyone, everyone wants to visit hell. Well, we didn't. I wouldn't give them the satisfaction. We didn't go there. But everyone, I think, wants to visit hell, tell their friends they've been to hell, right? They sell T-shirts that say things like, let's all party in hell. Go to hell. I live in hell. I've been to hell and back, and so on, okay? Now, look, the devil loves it when people joke about hell and don't take it seriously. But let me say this to you, and you know this. The Bible tells us that hell is real, and it is no joke. It is no joke. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else. In fact, 
he talked about it more than he talked about heaven or even love. Why? He talked about hell so much because he didn't want anyone to go there. He wanted them, to, everyone to know it's a real place and you do not want to go there because you don't serve your sentence and get out. It's forever if you wind up in hell, right? He often talked about hell in the same passage that he talked about heaven. His example would be Matthew 25, verse 46. And these, talking about the unrighteous, unbelievers, uh, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And there in that verse, the Lord Jesus not only talked about both heaven and hell, but he, in the same sentence, said that they were both eternal. So you can't have people that say, well, I believe heaven's real, heaven's eternal, but I don't believe in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about both, and in that one verse, Matthew 25, 46, said they're both real places, and they are both forever, if you wind up going there, okay? Now, I wanted to get into what is hell. I guess we're going to have to pick it up next time, um, because we are in the section where we're dealing with ultimate judgment now, people being cast into the lake of fire. And what is hell, really? Well, we just said is somewhere in the outer darkness. But where did the concept originally come from? What did the Jewish people understand about this place? Uh, well, we'll look at that briefly next time as we continue our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is truth. And your word teaches us that you are a God of great love who sent your only begotten Son to die for us on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. And we thank you for that, Lord. But you are a righteous God and heaven is a real, excuse me, hell is a real place. And give us grace to fully understand all the ramifications. And bless, Lord, our study going forward that we can communicate um, the reality of hell in such a way as that, yes, people are scared to go there. There's nothing wrong with being scared into heaven. We ask, Lord, that you keep blessing these studies for, uh, in your word, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.